Good morning. Welcome again to South Suburban Christian Church. My name is Pastor Ike Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today. This is the final message in our Begin Again series. We have been uh, studying the book of 1 John, and uh, we will finish that up today in 1 John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go get your Bibles. Open your app on your phone, however you read God's Word. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 5. encourage you to read all of chapter 5, but I'm only going to be reading the last two verses of chapter 5 as we complete our series today. Um, as you know, we have been uh, relaunching uh, our in-person or re resuming our in-person worship, looking for our full relaunch uh, in September. So we've got a lot of bugs to shake out in the summer, a lot of things to figure out. A lot of changes have happened in our world, in our church, in our neighborhood, and, and our leadership is uh, 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 working and praying hard to figure out how to uh, integrate all of the, the uh, different things that are going on and, and, and still be attentive to cleaning and providing a safe place. Thank you for your grace. As we said during our town hall and in uh, our congregational meeting, uh, the summer is going to be uh, kind of a confusing time. Lots of changes, lots of differences as we try to compensate for what we need to get done. And we just want to thank you for your grace. Thank you for your graces. Thank you for your comments and your emails. They're very encouraging to us uh, when you tell us, hey, I know this isn't comfortable for everybody, but I appreciate the attention you're giving to it. Glad to be uh, back together. Glad to be receiving the Lord's Supper. And so... Uh, uh, we want to continue uh, praying as God leads us through this summer so that by the time we get to September, we've got things somewhat figured out. And uh, we appreciate your flexibility, we appreciate your grace, and uh, we look forward to, uh, as we are able to see you. Um, before we begin and before I read the scripture, I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? And I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, and really I'm going to give you a statement, and then you fill in the blank, okay? So here we go. More than anything, I want blank. Okay? Fill in that blank. Don't, don't, you don't need to tell your friends or your family or who's sitting with you right now. Uh, just, you know, on a piece of paper, more than anything, I want blank. I've got a couple of other statements I want to give to you. I need blank. I fear blank. I love blank. I'm seeking blank. I'm trusting, blank. I'm taking refuge in, blank. Okay? So I hope you took the time to, to write those words down uh, and, and consider those questions. Now, turn with me to God's Word, 1 John chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 20, uh, as we complete our uh, series, uh, Begin Again. John writes, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that's it. <laughs> may God add His blessing and understanding to this the reading of his holy and perfect word. Amen. 
I really hope that you have been impacted by God's Word as much as I have been in studying for this series as we have worked our way through this letter. And the goal of today's message is to unpack those, really, those last six words. And I just read them in the context of that paragraph. But those last six words, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, at first glance, it may seem a little unusual to end a letter that way. Uh, And it's not the way that many of the other New Testament writers, like Paul, uh, have ended their letters with a benediction or a good word or, you know, may God's grace and peace be with you forever, amen, those sorts of things. But uh, as we'll see, this one little sentence is the fork in the road in allowing the Holy Spirit to form our lives into the image of Christ. One of, I think, the most important phrases, sentences that John gives us as he close out all of the thoughts and ideas that he's given us. Now, before we hit that sentence really hard, let me take a few moments to organize the theme of this letter in our minds, an endeavor that was prompted by those first two words, little children. And really, it's my first point today. Little children. Point one. Remember whose you are. In our modern-day world, we're often reminded by those who seek to help us be the person that we can be, uh, to have a positive self-image, to be able to envision and claim uh, the future and and all of the good things, health and wealth. And there's lots of preachers and pastors who will share with you that sort of perspective on a message. We are always told, remember who you are. As a Christian, our discipline is to let the Bible form our worldview. The Bible teaches us who we are. The Bible teaches us who God is. The Bible teaches us what is truth. Now, the problem with that is is the truth is often really hard for us to hear, isn't it? We don't like to hear the truth, especially when the truth is painful or hopeless. When I was finishing up my studies in seminary, part of my required coursework was something called clinical pastoral education. Clinical pastoral education, or CPE. It was one of the hardest parts of my preparation for ministry. I mean, I loved biblical studies, exegesis. I loved church history. No surprise there, huh? Those things are important. Exegesis, church history, theology. Any good pastor ought to have some understanding of those things. But CPE, that clinical pastoral education, well, that was hyper-practical. I spent a year in a hospital setting as, well, sort of an apprentice chaplain, if you will. And on my first day, I'll never forget when I met my supervisor for that year, she asked me a couple of questions. She told me that her job was to help me discover who I was. What do I know about myself? And so that first meeting was some questions about what do you know about yourself? And I said, well, there are some things I know, at least with regard to the work that I'm about to embark on on this next year. I know what I can't handle. I remember she said to me, we want to make sure we understand your weaknesses, your fears, your insecurities, your uncertainties. And with some sense of relief, I, underst- I thought I understood what she was saying, and, and I told her that I really struggled with seeing, pe- uh, seeing children in pain. I-, I-, I, don't th- I didn't think I could handle watching a child weep in confusion uh, as uh, disease ravaged their bodies, sitting with parents as uh, they were told news that they didn't want to hear. Things like pediatric cancer, uh, birth defects, tragic accidents. I said, I I just can't handle that. Okay, my supervisor said, anything else? And I said, yeah, I replied. 
uh, you know, as a single guy, as a single young man preparing for this, I was terrified <laughs> around women. Especially, well, you know what I'm talking about. Women's issues, the things that women might go to the hospital for. Situations where we men just don't know what to say or how to handle it. Well, my supervisor thanked me, and she told me to report to the hospital the next morning, and there she would give me my assignments. I left that meeting relieved. I was glad I had been honest. I was glad that she knew who I was, what I could and what I could not do. So the next morning, I went into the office, and I received my assignments, a list of visits that I would be required to make in the various departments of the hospital, as I began this long process of figuring out who I was and what I could handle. And when I looked at that list, the blood drained from my face and I literally began to tremble. I had been assigned, and you can probably guess it, to pediatrics and gynecology. Well, over the next year, I sat with parents who were told that their children would not survive. I sat with women who were told that the conditions that they were suffering would change the trajectory of their lives. And for an entire year, I watched as physicians told patients the truth. And part of my job, part of my call, was to help them process that truth. It was never easy. There's another kind of truth-telling that occurs that isn't easy either. It happens in moments like this. When I'm sitting with you, and you and I together are discerning God's Word, when I stand behind the pulpit and dare to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world, to open God's Word and allow God's Word to tell us the truth. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Genesis 8, 21. The intent of the human heart is evil from youth. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Even John, in his letter, in chapter 1, verse 10, reminds us of the truth. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, the truth is that we human beings are corrupt. We are selfish. We are rebellious. We are envious. We are greedy. We are prideful. We are self-seeking. We are interested in what we want. What makes us happy? What's convenient to me? We all know that. The Bible shows us that we are a corrupt and broken people, a sinful people. And yet at the same time, the Bible also shows us how our corrupt nature is defeated. 
And it's not by some 12-step process that helps us be kinder people. It's not a three-point sermon that moves us to be more sacrificial. It is quite literally and quite truthfully faith alone and Christ alone. It is through the body of Christ, that is, His blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Or as John says in chapter 5, verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That is, the Bible reminds us who we are. And the Bible reminds us that that that, that, that who we are is what needs to be overcome. And that the better question is this. Do you know whose you are? That is, are you confident? Have you come to understand that you are children of God? John answers that in that first few words of that last sentence when John says, little children, remember whose you are. Children are always defined by who their parent is. When we first meet a child and we see that it's a child, we say, where's your mommy? Where's your daddy? Where's your caregiver? We are children of God. You are God's children, born of God. And like any parent, God has laid His life down for us. Wait a minute. I I thought Jesus did that. He did. And John attests to that as well at the last part of verse 20, when he says, His Son, Jesus Christ, and then these powerful, declarative words about who Jesus is. He is the true God and eternal life. And finally, we come to our second and final point amidst the final sentence of John's letter. I know, I know, we're typically used to a more traditional approach with a sermon that has three points. But today, I only have two points for you. Should be easier to remember, I hope. Remember, point one, whose you are. And point two, keep yourselves from idols. Remember how in the first point we talked about how we don't like to hear the truth? We don't like to hear that we are corrupt, broken, and sinful. Well, this one is a hard one, too. We don't like to hear the truth that we are idolaters, guilty of idolatry, guilty of worshiping idols. Now, I know, I know, when most of us think of idols, we think of statues of gold or silver or wood. We think of ancient gods like Baal or Molech or Mammon, the gods mentioned in the Old Testament and some in the New as well. As a matter of fact, during the Middle Ages, these actual names for these gods, Baal, Molech, Mammon, who are very prominent in in the Scriptures as rivals against the one true God, these false gods, these pagan gods, are identified during the Middle Ages as demons that plagued humanity. You might be thinking, well, this is easy. I got this one down pat, Pastor. I don't have any statues of Baal. I don't have any statues of Molech or Mammon in my house. And hey, I'm a Christian. I worship only God. 
Well, there's no more sin more grievous to God than idolatry, brothers and sisters. I mean, if you want to find where God gets really ticked off in the Scriptures, it will always, in every circumstance, revolve in some way around idolatry. That is, is that the people will have begun worshiping a false God, a God that doesn't exist, and forgetting the true God that redeemed them from the nation of Egypt and brought them into the Promised Land. It's always in those moments when God's wrath is kindled that we can clearly see well, how that happened, and it is always idolatry. Well, let's do something. Let's change the names of those gods I mentioned earlier and just fill in the blank again to who those gods were considered the god of. You see, in the ancient pagan cultures, every god was sort of in control, they thought, over a particular aspect of life or experience. Well, Let's, let's, let's do that. Let, let, let's just give that modern name to that pagan god. Baal was the first one. Uh, well, well, for the sake of me not knowing the ages of all of those who might be watching this or listening to us today, let me just say that Baal is the god of, well, all things carnal. You get what I'm saying? Molech, well, that's easy. Molech was a god of power, influence. And Mammon, well, he was the god of money or wealth. And actually, his very name, as the English language uh, uh, develops, his name, Mammon, becomes synonymous with money. Jesus even using it, that you can't love God and Mammon. Well, Pastor, I'm not really sure I understand what you're saying. I don't worship these things. I've never sang a song to carnality. Are you sure you haven't? I've never sang a song to power. I've never prayed to money. I've never... Well, I, I don't pray to those things, you might say. Okay, let's just walk together for a few moments, okay? Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, says, quote, A God means that whatever it is from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. That's what a God is. Whatever you set your heart on and put you tr your trust in, Luther says, is truly your God. So what I might say to you, to, to put that into language that might be a little bit easier, an idol is anything, a false god, an idol is anything that is more important than God is. That you place your trust and hope and faith in before you do that with God. Sometimes it can be a bad thing, like perversion or love of money. But more often, in most of our lives, an idol is a good thing that turns to an ultimate thing. Uh, something that God has given to us for our comfort and consolation, and we confuse the gift with the giver. Instead of understanding financial resources as a gift from God, we understand fa financial resources as that which gives us refuge. It doesn't necessarily need to be money. That's just one that's easy. It could be family. It could be our career. It could be our desires. 
An idol is anything that captures our heart, motivates our behavior, colors our preferences more than God, and asks of us what only God rightly deserves. It's those things in our lives that we often don't even realize. Wanting things our way, on our time schedule, an unwillingness to lose anything, let alone everything, for the sake of God. Hey, listen, I understand. I understand how easy it is. The world constantly mirrors to us those things which we ought to be pursuing. A life of wealth, of ease, of power, of influence, of popularity. It's been moments in my own life when I have had to struggle with those things. One of the things that God taught me early in my ministry was always be willing to walk away everything for the sake of the gospel. I've always tried to remember that so that I didn't get attached to things like houses or cars. And you know that I joke a lot about that with regard to our Ford and Chevrolet friends out there. But the truth is, is in my own life and in my own ministry, I've got to always be aware that I must be willing to lose everything for the call of God in our life. And it's not just something that's reserved for pastors or people who work in the church. It's for all of God's people. We so dislike the truth. I, I don't like it when the Bible tells me the truth because it hurts. It's painful. For the truth is, is every single one of us are guilty at having broken the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Luther would go on to say that we don't ever commit any other sin without first breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. It's interesting. It isn't that we lack something. I mean, when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were told not to eat of the forbidden fruit, it wasn't because God was stingy. As a matter of fact, He said you can have the fruit of every single tree in this garden. You can use all of the resources here except for the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So why did they eat of the fruit? Well, they did it because the serpent tempted them with a false promise, and you can go back and read it. The serpent says to Adam and Eve, Ah, but if you do eat it, you will be like God. To be masters of our own life. To be masters of our own destiny. To be our own gods. We've made ourselves our own idol. You see, idolatry isn't just a sin against God. It's an abandonment. It's an assault on God. It is a denial of His goodness. It is a refusal to believe that God won't feed us, nurture us, bless us, even in times of suffering and discomfort. Adam and Eve wanted more than they were getting. And one little question, one little temptation, and poof! We find ourselves sitting on the throne of our own hearts, having pushed God out. 
Well, I, I think with that kind of presentation from Scripture, it's important to also give us some semblance of, of hope. How can I discover these false gods? Well, let's ask ourselves some questions. Well, actually, it's the same questions I asked you before the message today. More than anything, I want, I need, I fear, I love, I'm seeking, I'm trusting, I'm taking refuge in. And then there was a blank. And this is going to hurt, I think. <laughs> because sometimes the truth hurts. If we have placed anything in those blanks other than God, there is an idol in our life. Paul will say things, for example, in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, that greed and covetousness, that is wanting something that isn't ours or wanting something that is properly somebody else's, is idolatry. The point is that there are idols other than trees and statues that we all bow down to, that we all worship, that we all make the focus of our life and respond to with vehemence and anger when those idols aren't respected by others, even though they're false gods. The Presbyterian pastor and theologian G.K. Beale says that we become what we worship. So if our idols are pride, we become prideful. If our idol is lust, we are driven by our desire. If our idol is work, we lose ourselves in our job. What we worship becomes our identity. And that's why idolatry is so dangerous. We were made in the image of God to be like him. And the idols make us like them instead. So what's our next step here? Well, here's John's answer in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It's how we began this series. It's how we begin to frame what it means to begin again. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Our way out of idolatry and into the fullness of Christ is pretty simple. All we must do, as John says over and over again, is confess Jesus, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus will replace our idols with himself. Jesus will rip the idols out of the throne of our hearts and take his rightful place there. But it will cost us something. We will have to give up building our lives on anything else other than Jesus. And that might hurt. It'll hurt really hard initially. And there will be pain as life goes on, as we are tempted over and over again. But if we want freedom, I mean true freedom, freedom that is rooted in the truth, we're going to have to admit to ourselves, to God and to others, who we really are. Your idol will probably tell you if you take that step, you're going to be all by yourself. But he's lying. That idol is lying to you. Because there's a whole community of believers who have seen who they are and have walked away from who they are and to the truth of whose they can be. Whatever you're worshiping, 
Whatever's most important to you, if it's anything other than God, it is killing you, literally. And here's another painful truth. It can be an eternal death. It's got to be replaced by God. There's no other option. And it's got to be done now, today. Your idols don't want that to happen. Idols offer what we think we want, but Jesus gives us what we need. Idols never, ever keep their promises, but Jesus always does. He who confesses me, I will confess before the Father on that last day. So, out of this series, if you remember nothing at all, remember this two-point sermon. Brothers and sisters, remember whose you are. You are God's. And keep yourselves from idols. If you want to do that today, would you say yes to this question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Nothing more, but nothing less either. If you've made that decision today, will you click on that button? Uh, if you're on our online.church platform, if you're listening to us on YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever it is, uh, will you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com that we can celebrate with you? We also encourage you to go to our website at southsuburban.com and click on the button at the bottom of that page called Next Steps. It'll take you to a series of videos which will help you understand what God is doing in your life right now as you yank that idol out of the throne of your heart and allow Christ to take his place there. We celebrate with you as today we recognize we are God's children and we recognize that through Christ, victory is possible over the idols of our lives.